Hi everybody and welcome to the End of Sales podcast. My name is Stephen, the host of the End of Sales podcast. I hope everyone who's keeping well, who's listening is keeping well. I'm delighted to be joined by Lewis Torsney. This is another addition to our special guest series. How are you, Lewis? Yeah, I'm good, Stephen. I'm good. Um, wasn't to be on it. I'm looking forward to getting stuck in and telling you a few stories. Wasn't <laughs> <laughs> have you on, Lewis? Uh, thanks for coming on. You played for the likes of Celtic, Ross County, Kilmarnock, Dundee United, who have quite an experienced career in Scottish football. I'm looking forward to talking about that with yourself. But just to to take it, take us all back to the start. So when you're starting off with football, for me anyway, it was in school teams and you're playing in the, the street with your friends and that's where you get the love of it. How did it start for you? Yeah, it was more or less the same as everybody. Um, I think I was maybe six, seven year old. Um, and my best mate at the time, Stephen Gracie's dad was the, a manager of a club in Dundee, just a Sunday boys club, D club. Um, his name was Colin, and it was just that. Do you want him? Stephen just says, Do you want to come and, and come and train with the D club? And I just began from there, just kicking the ball, going to training, and playing with the D club, and um, just meeting new guys. And I was there for about two, three seasons. And then maybe when I was about 10, 11, uh, yeah, about 10, 11 years old, um, I got uh, my dad wanted to move us up, he, he might be seen as um progressing quicker than the people my age and he wanted to move us up to um 11 aside quicker so that's what i done i went and joined celtic boys um a year above myself and that was when i got a wee scout um scouting from a man called sean smith he was uh, a coach in dundee um to do with celtic he was he related to tommy burns very very close with tommy burns um and the that academy in dundee produced the likes of simon ferry ross wallace mark fotherham um, obviously myself um, and there was a few others that uh, that never really made made the grade in that as well but yeah um, that was just where, how it all started really just from Sunday boys right through and then so, ended up a trial game So was it your dad that seen the potential in you early on to get you above yourself playing a different kind of level instead of playing with kids your age? Yeah it was probably the coach, the coaching staff as well. I, I was just playing and enjoying the football at that young age, maybe 10, and, but there's not a care in the world at that age. Um, but yeah, it was my dad that, that kind of pushed us on and he wanted me to go to 11. I still had a, uh, another year at 7 sides, um, but he wanted me to go to start playing with 11 sides. He thought I was ready. Um, I was maybe taller and it was like, I, I, I can't really remember much of me like running the show kind of thing at 7 sides, but he just wanted me to progress and maybe a wee bit quicker than other boys. So I went and done that. And within a season, um, I got picked up from Sean Smith to go into the, the Celtic Academy. Um, so, yeah, that's how it came about. Fantastic. When I was that age, Lewis, I was playing SmackDown versus Raw on the PS2. That was my type of... I was here, I was doing that as well. I can assure you, <laughs> the wrestling figure possible. <laughs> so, yeah. like, when you're making that transition, obviously your dad and stuff and the coaches seen the potential in you quite early on and you, you get that move to Celtic boys. When, when from then do you think to yourself, this is serious, that this is, this is, uh, I need to be yeah. serious and kind of block out everything else? Yeah, I wasn't, I, again, it wasn't serious um, until I got the, the the call from Sean Smith to come into the, the he was a Celtic, he was in the Celtic Academy. So I was playing with Celtic boys club, just, a, just another Sunday boys team, just a year above myself. But, it was when Sean Smith came calling and he says, listen, I want you to come in and train with me. And what happened was he trained the guys. So Simon Ferry and that were there. There was guys like Brian Clark um, that played with Dundee and, and stuff. And 
there was a lot of Barry Colvin, and there was loads of guys there that were, and Mark Foreman was there at the time, Simon Ferry. They guys were there in a group, and what happened was when Sean Smith thought you were ready, he would send you in for a trial game at Celtic, at your age group. So I never got a trial game until probably about two years with training with Sean, because I always remember asking Sean Smith, I always says to him, when am I ready? When am I going? When am I going? When am I getting a wee trial game with, with Celtic? It would, would have been under 12s at the time. Um, but he he just, listen, he kept his back and he kept his back and he made sure I was ready. And my first game um, playing for Celtic, um, it was against Dundee at uh, St Andrews. And we actually won 5-4. I scored two. I scored an overhead kick in the last minute. You couldn't honestly couldn't write it. <laughs> um, that, and that is, that's gospel truth. And James Keaton's played in that game. Um, he's obviously at, uh, he was at Inverness with me last year, but he's just signed with Rafe Rovers. Um, and Robbie Thompson, he's the Rafe, Rafe Rovers goalie. He played in that game also. And he had an absolute shocker, honestly. I thought to myself, who is this in the goal here? Uh, <laughs> balls running under his feet. and But I bailed it. I managed to bail him out and scored. Honestly, I scored an overhead kick in the last minute. You couldn't have liked <laughs> And then... Uh, it was crazy. I've never done it again in my career. Never done it again. But just after that game, it was um it was Onar Steakin that was the manager and I think it was Danny Craney as well. Um but right away they took us aside and says, Listen, we want to sign you, we've seen enough. They were meant to get three trial games, but they signed me within one. So and that was when I probably started to realise like this is serious here because me as well, I've been a Celtic fan. All my life, all my life. Me and my granddad went to the games every single week. Wouldn't miss a wouldn't miss a game. Um, and then that just obviously signing for Celtic was a dream come true. And then just where where the opportunities it just took us every single year. I would just sign a year on, a year on. And then I think it was maybe under fifteens. Um, that was when I signed the two year. It was like an, an S forum kind of thing. Um, and that's when it really, really became serious. I think it's brilliant to hear as well. It's like much like yourself, the family connection with Celtic goes way back. I watch every game of my grandfather, like week in, week out, home or away. Do you know what I mean? So it's the family aspect of it as well. But before we go on to the serious side of things, this might be a bit naive of me to say, but I'm not really aware of who Sean Smith is. So what, who yeah. was he and what role did he play in your development? So Sean Smith was, again, he was an Irishman. I'm, I'm, I think he actually played with Celtic. I'm, I'm not actually too sure. I've, I've heard a few stories about him being... A hard man, and when Tommy Burns was alive, um, we used to he used to take me through, and he was good, really, really good friends with Tommy Burns, um, and they two always they were in, they were always talking, and it was really Simon Ferry, um, was obviously was really close with Tommy as well, and Sean Smith took him through, and he was it was basically a Dundee centre, and he he was based in Dundee, and he just took every single like he would go around watching games on a Sunday and take the best players really, and come into his training facilities and his training and he would train them up and when he thought you were ready he would send you into Celtic he would phone Tommy Burns and say listen I've got a player he's ready can we get him in as a trial and that was that was the way it worked um, but Sean yeah Sean honestly he was an, an old guy he was when he, when he was training me he was like 74, 75 and honestly he would, the ball would come to him he would be able to trap it without looking he would still be able to ping the ball honestly it was crazy a 75 year old I think he was about 80, 80 odd before, uh, when he when he passed away. Sadly, passed away. And and but like honestly, he was the guy that made me and he, he, Simon Ferry. I'll probably say the exact same. Ross Wallace, 
Mark Fotherham, all these guys that, that are from Dundee, um, will we'll always speak highly in him and he's, he's uh, one of the best coaches yeah. that I've ever had, yeah. I think it's important as well just to highlight people that people may not know about because for me, I, n- I never really heard of a, a Sean Smith hanging around yeah. Celtic or being like a go-between for players from Dundee. But yeah. I think it's fantastic yeah. to hear that. So thanks for that, Lewis. So yeah. fa- fast forward into when you were 15 and you'd done the trial game and then yeah. you get your, your contract. So how did that feel at that moment? Was it like a pure family celebration or were you just kind of pinching yourself? Didn't know yeah. how to take it. I, I actually signed. No, I signed when I was about eleven. I think I was eleven, so I was going into under twelves. So I was just signing maybe a year, and then a year, and a year, and it got to maybe I think it was under fifteens when you were, or maybe under fourteens when you were able to sign a two year. So that two year then got you up to whether you either get a professional contract or not. Now there were so many players in my age group and my like coming through from the under twelves right through to the under. I think it was under seventeens. And that was when you either got the professional contract or not. But even guys that are still playing now, like Mark McNulty, he was, um, he's obviously at Dungeon United just now, played with Hibs and that, had a great career. He was released at, um, he was released at like under-16s and under-15s. You've got Stuart, Stuart Brannigan as well. Uh, Stuart Brannigan, sorry, at Partick Thistle. He was another one that came through my youth, again, released at under-15s. But, like, as players, like we were like, couldn't believe it. Like, obviously, great players, and they went on to have great careers. But then, on the other hand, like, you've got guys that got contracts and got up, and they aren't playing anymore. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, it's it was just, it's the way the attitude, and it's the way football works. It's sometimes it is luck, sometimes it's not, it's hard work. So, but yeah, when it got to, when I got offered the professional contract, that would have been when I was 16. Like, I still regret it to this day. See, I got told right before my exams, see, from uh, at school. And yeah. then you end, up, you end up just no concentrating on exams and stuff like that. And you end up just putting all beside and thinking that you're Billy Big Ball's kind of thing and just like, oh, that's it. I'm signing for Celtic. I'm signing for Boyhood. This is me and that. But realistically, I shouldn't have done that. And But when you look back, like, obviously you can't change it. But that is probably one of the biggest regrets that I had, just not sticking in at school and having... The grades than what I should what I should have had because I got told I was getting a contract to sell it when I was sixteen. Do you know what I mean? But like getting told that was just it was unbelievable. It really was. I got brought in and sat down with Tommy Burns and um he was there when I signed it and just sitting at Celtic Park with my granddad and my, my dad and my mum and that it was just it was surreal. And yeah it's, it's yeah, it's memories that'll last you forever, eh? See, to be honest with you, Lewis, as well, I'm actually glad to say that about when school and stuff, you wish you could go back and do things differently. This is yeah. no joke. When I was when I was in school and Celtic were playing a Champions League game midweek, I could never concentrate. <laughs> I was I was a supporter. I couldn't yeah. wait for the day for the day to be just fly in and get into the house and put it on the TV and watch it. And that's I mean that mindset for you, obviously getting that contract. I I don't blame you. Obviously, hindsight's a wonderful thing. But as yeah. you said, you're Billy Big Balls. You've got the contract for the club of your dreams and. The only ways up from there, and a, a guy you mentioned, a, a guy you mentioned there as well, Lewis Tommy Burns. Um, John Hearn, we had him on recently, mm-hmm. and he spoke in, in glowing terms about uh, Tommy Burns. What kind of impact did he have in your career? Yeah, it was yeah. Again, he was um, he was kind of up in the, the reserves and under like at the first team when I was like coming onto the scene. But something that always sticks in my mind, I'll never ever forget. It. I played Rangers, and I it was I would have been under 16s or 17s game. And he came and watched, and I think we lost the game. And it's probably one of the only times we did. I think we used to batter Rangers there all the time, even cup finals and stuff like that. 
But I think that one game we were, we were really poor and we got an absolute doing. But I always remember, like, because, like, I'm not, go- I'm not scared to say I hate Rangers, I hate them. But <laughs> as long as I'm a Celtic diehard and I've been brought up like that, I was trying, like, and I was everywhere. I was, like, re- like really, really going for it and going and throwing myself into tackles and stuff like that. And I never, ever forget that Tommy Burns came over and he just says, like, if you, any of you, like all the team, obviously, if any of you showed the desire and the hunger that I, I was shown, says, you will be winning this game by a country mile. And I always, I never, ever forget that when he said that. And just, he took us aside in that and just gave us a pat on the back and just says, listen, keep it up in that. You could see you gave your all in that and stuff like that. And I just, yeah, I always stick with me. But that, like, he took a few training sessions and stuff, but he was always really with the first team and under 19s and stuff. And I was just a little bit too young. Um, yeah, realize that. Yeah, as as you said there as well. Like you mentioned, you always used to batter Rangers, and fair pity for saying you hit them because I mean, oh, I hit. I think every Celtic fan can admit, Joe, <laughs> we hit our rivals. It's, it's not. It's not the end of the world. They hate us too, so there's no big panic about it. But when, when you're when you're coming through the age ranks, something I'm always interested in, and the fast other guests as well. See when you're training within your age groups and the uh-huh. players around you. Is it the same mentality a whole way through the first team where you have to win, win, win and get every trophy you can up every possible level? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's brought up that's that's the Celtic way. Um you're brought up, I think you can maybe look at it like we we got all the best players or some stuff like that. Like I was probably at my age group at the time, like I was probably the best player in Dundee, so I got to go, you know, I mean I was moved to Celtic, stuff like that, and it's maybe the same in Glasgow as well. But Obviously, you're fighting it out to win. It's the winning mentality. You're getting brought up with that from a young, young age, from under 11s, 12s, just obviously playing nice football and stuff like that. But you make sure you win the games because when you move up the levels, that's what it depends on. Results. It's, football's a results business, really. You need to win games, especially at a club like Selic. Um, was it, and yeah, was I there, think it's... it's was there ever any like training session at youth level you're, when you go up through the, the ranks below reserve team where you thought this intensity is just crazy? Like, for me, the way I, I picture it is like the coaches will always be on you and they'll always be giving you advice but criticizing you as well. Is, is, is that like a hard to take is, if you're getting criticized, young player? Because I know me, myself, I remember one time I was on, on the pitch for a, a local team. And the manager shouted something to me, and I just lost the head and just gave him the middle finger back. I, I obviously I didn't have the the mental capacity to deal with criticism and move on with it. But is that something that's something you need to take on board? Yeah, you've got to take that. I think again, I think football's different now. I think see now if you're a youth coach or something like that, and you're shouting at players and you're shouting demanding, I think people do go into shells. I do think like nowadays, but see in my day and that we've had some amount of Balkans. Um, and and that's just what happens. That it's the same with like guys older than me as well. I think the older you are, when you were younger, you you got the bollocks, and it made you who you are today. But I think nowadays, you you if you were to shout at players and stuff, young players, then again they turn around or they give a reaction and stuff. And at my age, like when I was a, a youth a youth player, like I would never ever ever think about answering my coach back or anything like that. I was total respect you listened you just if you wanted a word one you would wait to the end of the session or you would wait to the monday or something like that and then you would go and you would chat to him and say listen i don't think that that was right and that that was probably the way you go about it but nowadays i do i do do i notice it a lot that you get a lot of players answering back and stuff like that and yeah yeah it shows yeah. a lot of respect kind of thing 
or you get a or you get a Twitter post at the end of the evening criticizing people. <laughs> but like, see, see as well, Lewis, when you're coming through, and then you said there you get your balligans and stuff. Is there a time where you can remember for even just yourself, even where you got one and you're just like, wow, that was just intense because as as you said, a lot of players would go in their sales and. Me myself personally, as I said before, I, I didn't have the mental capacity to take someone shouting at me. Was there was there ever a time where you thought this is mental when someone was shouting at you? I I think I had one. I think I had one. Well, I always remember this. It was Chris McCart. Um, it was actually when I was. I think it would have been nineteen. It was. Well, I actually got. I don't know if you watched the Open Goal podcast. Podcast with Simon yes, Ferry. Yes. Yeah. Well, Jackson Irvin was on, and he told a little bit about it, and he just went into a little bit of detail about it. So it was in. Barcelona away, we were five one. I think we were five nil down at half time, and it was an honestly an absolute onslaught. We were we were terrible. I was terrible personally. The whole team just couldn't get over half, and we just got barred. And I remember coming in at half time, and Chris McCarr, I think it was Stevie Frail as well, but Chris absolutely slaughtered the whole team. But he really, really went for me. I think I think I was captain that game. And I think just because I was kind of the captain and that was kind of the older one, we had Marcus Fraser, Jackson Irvin, that they're a year younger than me. Jackson's two years. John Hearn would have been there as well. Um, but he really, really got he got stuck right in about me. And I remember thinking in the second half, I was like, honestly, I think Tony Watt was there as well. And I think it says to Tony and Jackson, like, why don't I just stay in and just stay in the showers and just no go out? We'll just we'll leave the second half because this is, honestly, I remember a player. Uh, I don't know where he is now, and I'll never ever forget it. And Tony, if Tony watches this, he'll know exactly who I'm talking about. Still mentions it to, to this day. His name's John Marie Dongu. Now this guy, I think he scored a hat trick that night, and he was, but I think he was two years younger than us, so he would have been about 16, 17. Now he was built like a man. He was absolutely solid, and he was so good, so powerful, and just, I just thought this guy's going to play for Barcelona. Yes. He's going to be there, and I don't know if I honestly don't know where he is now or if he did play. I don't think he obviously did because we would have remembered him. But yeah, I always remember that game and just thinking, wow, this is the standard that we need to get to. Do you know what I mean? This is where we're at. We're batting teams back home. But see, when you come to that next generation and we're playing the likes of Barca and we played, we actually done well. We actually actually scored at Park. We beat Marseille 3 1 in the last game at Celtic Park in the next gen. I scored that game. Um, played really well, but the Barcelona game was just a real eye opener. Eh? A real eye opener. because they they basically train their players the the Messi style or something the way they say it anyway. But from like nine years old, the passing quick oh. tempo and that, that's how they're drilled. And see oh. when you were coming, see when you were coming through Lewis as well. You mentioned some pe- people are like Tony Watt. Who was yeah. in your who was like in your age group or players you would be about? So my age group, obviously, still James Forrest was in my age group. Um, he was a year, well, he was a year older, but under 19s, it was kind of like the free age group. So it was 91, um, 92, and 93s. And um, so it was James Keatons was my age. Cal McGregor was a year younger. Uh, obviously, James Forrest, Declan Gallagher, Stephen O'Donnell. Um, just trying to think. Obviously, Jackson Irvine was there. Uh, Joe Chalmers, Marcus Fraser. Um, Tony Watt, of course. There was me, Paul George, Islam Farouz. We had some team. We really did. We had some team, and again, we won three tre- uh, three doubles in a row. Um, That's unbelievable. Yeah. So again, like we were winning every every everything. Like that was just our team. But in my age group, I honestly think the ninety twos. I think it's just me and James Keatons 
Um, and maybe Steve, Stephen O'Donnell as well. Obviously, he's he's done absolutely brilliant playing with Scotland and yeah. stuff. Um, that are still playing, but all the rest, like you've got guys that were there. We had our, our captain Matty Hughes, um, centre half. He was absolutely brilliant, solid. But at the end of the when we won the cup, we were all celebrating and stuff, and then and he gets told maybe the next day or the week after that that's it, it's over for you. Like for no for me to deal. And you're thinking how how could that happen? And it happened to most guys, like. I had guys like Kieran Brennan as well, right through my youth. He he came through from under 11s when I first joined, right through. Um, there was guys, Callum Bagshaw, and there was, honestly, there were so many guys that that, that happened to. Jordan Lilden as well, Grant Mawson, just like, and they don't play anymore. That was yeah. it, kind of the end, do you know what I mean? And it's, you think to yourself, like, how could we go from a team like that, where we had it, that team just batting Rangers, batting Hearts, batting Hibs, Winning everything and then have three players still playing like at a good level. It's crazy. It's when you say when you rhyme off the names, like even the names before, like Paul George and stuff, Islam Farouk, yeah. like that's a that's a squad, that's a like a trophy winning team. Like there's it's yeah. littered with talent. And yeah. see as well, this is your, your personal opinion. And on our podcast, we talk a lot about youth and where they're going to play and where to get the competitive football from. Do you think it was a mistake getting rid of like reserve leagues and competitions for development football instead of doing what they do now, like friendlies every two weeks? Yeah, yeah, 100%. You need that competitive edge. If you had the reserve leagues, when when I first came through at under-19s, the reserves, that was when it just got taken away. Um, so when I was like, I think I was under-17s and stuff, uh, when Tommy Bunch was still still here and he was the head of youth, it was kind of like it was a reserve league. And, and that was our ambition. That ambition from the under-19s was to get in that reserve team. That was it. And see... See now, like getting in the reserve team for guys, or it's not even reserves now, it's maybe under 20s or whatever. Like it's just, it's not the same. It's not the same. You need that competitive edge and, and getting into that next stage. And then the next stage after reserves would have been the first team. But even just playing the reserves, you're still going to be playing with like your first team players and stuff. And it's still a competitive edge. They want to win, you want to win. And yeah, definitely, they should still have that. But of course, they've done away with it and there's nothing you just could really do. Eh? Yeah, I think I think they've they got the folk through to get in the Lonely League. But see, yeah. see as well, see as well, Lewis. Obviously, before we go on to the first team side of things, with the characters you named, you must have some some funny stories or pranks that you've seen within within your group. Anyway, yeah, there was there's a few probably that I couldn't really that I couldn't really tell. Um, I'm just trying to think of the youth the youth stories. Honestly, Cal, the, the stories that I had were Callum Bagshaw because that was me and Cal, me and Baggy were in digs together, so. We kind of just... Well, see, when I first joined, there was a guy, Richard Feeler, that when I first joined Celtic at 16, I lived with uh, him at the start, and he never spoke any English and that, and it was just, like, obviously, he would have been a nice guy and stuff. He lasted two months, but you could imagine a guy from Dundee at 16 going into a house with a guy that doesn't speak any English, but we're travelling from getting a bus from Hamilton to, I think it was maybe in town, and then town to Parkhead, and then walk along to Barrafield. You were leaving about six o'clock in the morning to get the training. What a guy that you never really spoke to, do you know what I mean? It was an absolute nightmare at the start, but he he got released within two months, and then Baggy, which is probably one of my best mates to this day now, uh, some laughs we had, honestly, but just, it just went, Mary, it was Mary that was used to be like the, the land, like you moved into Dig, sorry. So you moved in and we had a free bedroom, so uh, me and Baggy were in and we had a few guys coming in and then leave and in and leave. We had Danny Gardner, that's actually playing at Wigan just now, and Dan Gardner came in. Um, 
very good player as well, but he, again, the exact same, got to a stage where that was time he moved back down England, got released. Um, who else did we have? We had John Young. He was from Dundee. We had a few stories about him. Um, again, it was just like having a laugh. Jackson came in. He's first. He totally an open goal. First day in, we would play. We would play cards. We would rig it. Obviously, hundred percent. He would lose, and then that would it. Like ten naked stars off Jackson outside, and he would look at us as if to say, "You're joking." Like, no, that's it. You've got to do it, mate. So that's it. Get your clothes off when you go. So next thing he would be also he'd be outside. Me and Baggy would lock the door. That would be him shut the door. And we would just go to our rooms, leave him outside. Get the first day in Glasgow, that was him. But again, like that, that kind of made him. You'll say that to this day. Like that made him who he is. Like if that happens in the first day, could you imagine what happens in the week and the two weeks and stuff? But yeah. some, yeah, some laughs like. Dressing up in Mary's clothes, and you had to go and order a Chinese going to the Chinese, and obviously women's clothes in that. Eh? See, doing that. Are you imagine a youth player doing that nowadays. It's crazy. We, we actually done that. It was it was Baggy that done the the Chinese. So um, he walked in right, and I was standing outside, and just obviously probably videoing it and that, and trying to have a laugh. And James Keaton's actually walked in that Chinese. Was like, what are you in outside, Toshva? Walked inside and Baggy and. And, and Mary's clothes. Oh, honestly, he was like, what are you doing? He couldn't believe it. Oh, wow. It's, it's almost, you're right, it's like initiation, isn't it, when you yeah. join a, a new football team, you, you kind of have to have that banter because then you get to know them and they come out of their shell. It works. Yeah. And as you, said, as you said, now, Lewis, most young players now are too busy either playing Fortnite or taking pictures to get hashtags yeah. on Instagram or get likes. And it's, 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 it's kind of a shame saying that because Hearing the stories from you guys in Open Gold as well, Simon Ferry, you, mm. you just want to go back to them times and relive it all over again. It's, I think it's especially for users that have that laugh within the club together. And as well as well as you mentioned, like B- Bagshaw there as well. So when did you get the shout, the train? Did you go to the reserves before the first team or were you jumping straight, straight from the 19th to the first team? Yeah, so we were the, the very first time. Like, see, see, when I made my debut, you're probably going to go into the, the debut as well. But I never yeah. even trained. I never even trained with the first team, um, before I like, and I made my debut before I even trained with the first team. Like we were, we were playing a game, um, we were playing a game on a, I think it was a, it would have been a Friday, and in the cup, and I remember getting brought off about fifty minutes just right after half time, and I was kind of thinking like, well, five one up or someone were cruising. I was thinking, what's going on here? Got brought off and nothing was said, and I was kind of in the half, well, not in the half, but I kind of just sat and thought, like, thinking, what is what is going on here? What's going on? And then, obviously, at the end of the game, walked into the dressing room at Lennox Town and that, we were all sitting, and the gaffer, Neil Lennon at the time, came in, and he was just speaking away with Stevie Frell, said he's first bet, and then Lennon, um, the gaffer started speaking, and then he just he, he asked to speak to me, and everybody was all oh, the usual, oh, kind of like that. <laughs> So I went out and just spoke to me. Just says, "Listen, you're coming with the first team tomorrow." I was impressed. We have been impressed. We have for a while now watching the game. So you'll travel up with the team tomorrow for the game against Aberdeen. So yeah, thinking, like, unbelievable! That was the first time, not even trained or anything. And this like is that. before you. This is before you set foot in the grass for the first time in, in the training. Before I trained, I never trained once. I never had any association or training uh, with the first team. It was always with the teams. Wow. That was the first time I was involved with the first team. So I travelled up. Uh, me and James Keatons was he was called as well, but he played in the game also. So we travelled up to Aberdeen, and that was the night I made my debut. 
honestly, just on the bench, seeing my name. Didn't expect to be on the bench or anything. I just thought I was coming for the experience. Um, yeah. But and just obviously, he just names the team, and my name was mentioned on the bench, and I just I couldn't believe it. And then that was it. Wow. I mean, th- th- at the time when he came in to talk to you, were you thinking he was going to ask for Elena Mary's clothes when they're Chinese? <laughs> well, I thought it was something like that. I would have been, he's probably found out what I've been up to or what I'm like as a guy or, do you know what I mean, he wants a laugh or something like that. But to say that you're coming with the first team, honestly, I remember just getting off the, getting out of training and just phoning my dad and my, phoning my granddad and just telling them and they were just like, right, right on to it, get tickets, get the tickets. And they, they would have been going into the games anyway, so... Yeah, they were all they were all at the game and that, and my mates and that all made it to the game. So it was it was unbelievable. So when you're on the bench, before you get on the pitch, I want to go back to when you're in the dressing room. Who who are you sit beside? What's going on in the dressing room? Are you completely like bricking yourself at this moment, or is it something again that you keep taking your place? I was I was nervous. I definitely was nervous at the thing, um, but I I can't really remember who I was sitting beside. I just remember being on the pitch at uh, at half time. And just spraying balls about and that, and I just I, I was doing it right beside the fans. Just I must have been thinking, who is this guy? <laughs> but I was just a fan. Do you know what I mean? I was just one of the yeah. fans that they obviously didn't know who I was. But just when they were singing and stuff, like I was joining in the singing and just just everything about it was just surreal. And when we were warming up, and this was about probably when it was getting called over, so we warm up 75, 77 minutes or something. I think we scored the third goal. And I just remember I'm sh- like throwing like the gaffer and me Albie and that just throwing their hands out to like to come over. And I was I can't remember who I was warming up with. Like it was maybe Daryl Murphy or maybe Keatsy and, and me. And they're all like nobody knew who it was. And then it was like over a point, and obviously Keatsy was like, Toss it's you. It's you. I think he had a wee giggle to himself thinking, I can't believe he's been picked and I've not. Because <laughs> he never made his debut. Eh? He was he still got yeah. it to that. Yeah, but like, I was obviously shouted and I came over. And I remember, I always remember getting my kit off and stuff like that. And they were going through the set pieces. And that was, we were 3 0 up and there was 10 minutes to go. Obviously, we're not going to throw it away, surely. But just, I just honestly, I just thought in my head, like, don't give the ball away. Just stay an easy pass and stuff. And I came on, right? And I still get slaughtered for this, right? But I made a joke about this. Like, I came on, I took a throw in, right? The first thing I'd done, I took a throw in. I think I played it to Chris Commons. He played it back with a volley and I went out, right? But I made a joke about it to the guys. I says, I came on. I was shitting myself that much and I threw it and I, I took a full throw. That was the first thing I'd done at Celtic. And people still to this day slaughter us for it, saying, you took a full throw when you came on. But I actually never. Chris Commons played it back and I went out and, and that's that's what happened. But it was, it was Greg Spence that always slaughtered us for that. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> I, I've, I've got it down here. You come on for Scott Brown. Is that, is that correct? Yeah. That, that's true, yes. Bruni came off, yeah. And you, you came you, off. Ha- how was that last like twelve minutes? I'm sure sh- I'm sure I would just flew by like unbelievable. Honestly, I think it was Charlie Mulgrew and maybe Kelvin Wilson that were the centre half, or Matt Wilson maybe that played centre half. I went on to right back and I just honestly I just remember I was basically just singing all the songs. Celtic fans were all singing, they were partying and they were three 0 up cruising, and I always I just remember going through the game singing, like singing in, in my head. Eh? It was yeah, it was crazy, crazy, but just. Obviously, I only played there twelve minutes, and I'm I told to this day like I'm gutted that I never I never got another chance to play more. Um, but the experience that I had to do, to do that like for my boyhood team to play for Celtic was just was just unbelievable. And to have to be honest, to have my granda there as well watching yeah. on 
that was my that was just because he was he would have been crying like anything in the crowd there because that's yeah. he's been following Celtic all he was following Celtic all his life. He passed away a couple of years ago as well, but just yeah, it was just surreal. I've actually got a tattoo. I've actually got a tattoo on my leg of me and my granddad Celtic Park. That's unbelievable. Yeah. I, I mean, it goes back to doesn't it? It's we always say as well. It's the family type orientation that you feel yeah. yourself. You're you're born into it. It's an institution. Yeah. It's a way of life. And as well, you said you said there you were gutted not to go on and, and do more things. But at the end of the day, you've done what every boy who fan wants to do. You've pulled on that strip and you've stepped on that park with them players. And at the time, my favorite player would have been like Chris Commons and stuff. And yeah. them types them types of players when back then were unbelievable. Calvin Wilson had a brilliant career at Celtic. And yeah. see after that, see after that, Lewis, were you involved in first team training or was it like yeah. straight back to nineteens? Nah, nah, nah. That was me after the after my debut. I remember coming in after the game um, at Petardre and Lennon obviously just saying, "Listen, congratulations to Lewis Torsten making his debut, and that he'll be in with us." And and that was me. Like everybody gave us a round of applause and the the shake of the head and stuff, and Bruni over the laugh of his and that. And that was that was basically it from there. I was in with the first team, um, near enough every training session, but I would train with them. Um, and again, loved it. Like the players that used to come in, I remember honestly. I remember like Sean Maloney and that like was one of the best trainers I've ever ever seen, and he helped me so much. He was he was close with me, and I remember big Virgil Van Dyke coming in. His first day of training, and I remember getting told we've got a new guy coming in the day, signed for I think it was two and a half million or something like that. Uh, Virgil Van Dyke, and nobody knew who he was. The dreadlocks and stuff like that. He came in. I'm no joking. His first training session, everybody came in after it was like, "What is that? Who is this guy?" Just strolling about, croifing, pinging boys in the top corner, and everybody knew right away. I I knew from the first session this guy's special. Eh? This guy is special, and obviously he came on. He went on to be one of the best centre halves in the world. But absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. But that's that's the sort of guy. Like I was training with them. Near enough every day. We went to the. I think it was that. Was it that season or maybe the season after? We went away to the. They went to the Europa League. We played Atletico Madrid. I travelled with a the squad there. Um, I didn't make the bench. I think it was. I think it was one 0 that game. But I was in the stands there, and then I was on the bench against Udinese um, in Italy. We played that that group as well. Uh, then Italy and that were playing for Udinese. I think it was a draw that. I think we. I think we made the draw, but I think we went out that group. Um, but again, like I was travelling uh, across Europe with a with Celtic, do you know what I mean? And I was on yeah. the bench at Udinese, never made it against Atletico Madrid. But like I'm travelling and just getting that experience, and I like I'll go on to when I went on loan and that and what happened. Um, to what was said in that after, so I'll I'll no jump, I'll no jump across yeah. that. So see, see when you're training with the first team. So when when you go in, when you look back now, is there moments where you're going? Like you're on that training pitch with like Scott Brown, like mm-hmm. Chris Commons, Virgil Wilson, and John Hearn told us that F. A. Ambrose used to do the exact same thing, take on the whole pitch and ping the ball in the net. And it's yeah. when you're watching these players, who stood out to you? I know they said Virgil, but who else in that group you you looked up to and they helped you and yeah. kind of guided you along when you were with Celtic anyway? I was close with we James Forrest. We James Forrest was probably one of the best the best trainers that I seen at Celtic. Like, you honestly couldn't get near him. And even to this day, he's still doing it. I think some Celtic fans give him a wee bit of a hard time and stuff. But I'm telling you, he's probably proved that we missed him this season massively. The width especially, just getting out players and stuff. And me, James, he was an incredible trainer. And 
we were close off the pitch as well. We used to we used to always do stuff together. Um, but again, just the usual ones like like Brownie was he was brilliant with us as well. Um, and he always sees like everybody will say it as well. See you on the pitch and it and training and stuff like. He's a totally different guy than in training and, and around the train, changing room than he is on the pitch. It's just a switch. It just he just changes, and that's that. It's just focus mode and it's just winning mode kind of thing. And he gets his team and he is the leader and everybody knows that. Everybody looks up to him and honestly, I can't speak highly of Bruni. Um, did, did he did he command respect of everybody? Was it like one of them things? Any new player comes in, basically Scott Brown was up straight away welcoming him. Is he like the type of guy yeah. we all think he is? It's not really, it's not really like he demanded it. It's not that. It's just it ha- happens automatically because the other players obviously do like respect him so much. And but see, when he's in training and like even in training, like he's a total winner. His team's winning, and that's it. Do you know what I mean? And he trains like under Milner. And do you know what? I think that rubbed off on KT as well. KT was the exact same. He came in and trained with a with the under 19s as well, right? When I was under, like I was the older under 19s. And he was just a sixteen-year-old or something, and he came in and and it, he he trained like Scott Brown. He trained the exact same. We would do a warm up and that, and like people would be doing a warm up, and it would be like half hours kind of thing. And like when you're getting the knees up and stuff, KT would do it everything a hundred percent. He would be doing it everything rapid, everything done pure proper. Do you know what I mean? And yeah, everybody would just be like half hours, and you'd be like, KT, calm down. We're not even started training yet. But that was just the way he is. That was just that was just his mentality. And that is where the work, it was just work rate and then training, like it rubbed off. Maybe we weren't, we were not obviously at it as much as, as Katie and Brownie and stuff like that. Do you know what I mean? And I think yeah. that's how K2 got on that much. And that's how, like, KT obviously looks up to Brownie. Yeah. I, I remember um, John Hearn was saying that in training and stuff, as a, as a young boy coming up to the academy, you go with the first time, they're on you straight away, but like in a good way where you can kind of take it. He was saying about Neil Lennon used to give you shouts or, he would see him going mad. Did, did you experience yeah. anything like that in training yeah, I, where the first team were, were just giving it to you thick, but only for a good reason, obviously? Yeah, yeah. I remember um, me and Slaney, right? Me and Slaney were good friends. <laughs> we are. We're, we're best of pals still to this day. Give us uh, a Slaney story. Come on, Lewis. So, do you know what? I've got the, one of the best stories in the world, but I can't tell <laughs> it's that bad. But it's, it's just absolutely genius. But Slaney used to come... And live with me. He used to come and stay with me. Like I had a flat in Kilsyth and that, and then I had a flat with Jackson. And Slaney would just move in. He wouldn't. He would come in, and he wouldn't go home for about two, three weeks. He just that would be him. He would just stay. Do you know what I mean? You couldn't get rid of him. But he's that lovable of a guy. Then you just, of course, you can stay. And there's a spare room there. You go, not a problem. But um, yeah, the story with me and Slaney, right? We were training with under nines, and we got the call up. Lennon shouted on with I think it was Alan Thompson or something. Uh, Tosh and Slaney. Let's go. The two guys must have went off injured or something. So me and Slaney have came up. Um, I think he has told this on Open Go, actually. So me and Slaney have came up and we are just thinking, we are speaking away each other, like saying, I can't believe this. What is, what's going on here? Next thing, like we never got told any rules of what's happening. They're in a game, right? A game situation. Me and Slaney are on the same team. Put the bibs on, right? Bibs are on. I'm taking a throwing, right? And I'm throwing it to Slaney, right? But somebody must have said something to Slaney about being at one touch or or two touch or something like that. But Slaney's just totally froze. So I threw him the ball. Slaney's froze, right? And he's just looked up and stared at me. <laughs> Next thing, I've ended up running at him and I'm tackling Slaney. And, like, and everybody's like, 
what that's going on here? And Lennon's bowing and shouting, going absolutely crazy. Like, where the fuck have I got used to, Faye? And all this nonsense, honestly. <laughs> me and Slaney were just like, nah, please get me off here and let me go him, please. <laughs> why, why, why did you end up tackling <laughs> Don't know, just like we didn't know, like I didn't know he had one touch or two touches, but that we didn't know the rules. Nobody told me the rules. So if he had one touch, he's actually took his touch. So then I've came in to like obviously try and get the ball away from him. But I don't think it was one touch or two, but I think Chilene just made it up in his head. And I've ended up believing him and thinking I'm running at him and I've walloped him and oh it was honestly bizarre. Absolute bizarre. Can, can you can you remember Lee Lennon going mad like proper uh, losing or anything? Yeah, it's obviously some of the shouts that we got that day. It was just everything you done was just uh, get back to the nineties or just uh, where the hell did we get used to and just all this nonsense. Uh, me and Slaney so, just wanted the ground to swallow him up. <laughs> what what was like Paul Paul Slayton, for anyone who doesn't know he he does open goal line stuff and. He's quite, he's quite a character in Scottish football, especially now, and you, you say they're, he's our best friends. What yeah. type of person is he actually? Is he misunderstood the way he was when he was younger, or did nah. he, was it football just not for him? What way was it, like, actually? He's got, honestly, Stephen, he's got one of the best hearts, the biggest hearts that you'll ever have meet. He will do anything for you. He's yeah. a total family man, but he, he is, what he's like in open goal is what he's like in real life. Like, we, yeah. I would go right so I would finish training I was injured for the, the season right and we would finish training and Slaney as well was injured so I'd go back to his house and I'd stay at his house um, when I gave up the flats this was when I was injured for the year and I never had anywhere to stay right so I would go back yeah. to Slaney's and we would just sit and we would play football manager and stuff for hours and hours on end and then we'd go and get maybe a subway we'd walk up to the top of Sucky Hall Street and get a subway like and the sort of stuff he would do he would just Tosh, I bet you couldn't eat 12 cookies in the space of 15 minutes. <laughs> right, that's, honestly, that's just, like, just right of the blue. I was like, Slinny, come on, man, I've just had this all. He was like, I'll do it then, let's see it. Like, 12 cookies, bud. And he'd go and buy 12 cookies. He'd sit them down, and that would be him. He, he wouldn't have speak for the next 15 minutes just eating 12 cookies. And he would do that. He would do that. Honestly, the guy is just, honestly, you just laugh 24-7, man. We went to the, the Viva Brazil, right? I've, I've got pictures on my phone at Viva Brazil. Um, so, yeah, that's where they eat all the meats. You get like 24. Yeah. So, I just wind them up. Eh? I just go, right, I bet you can't do this. You'll know eat every single one of them, like, kid, twice over. <laughs> but I could. I was like, right, go on then. <laughs> Come on then, big man. And then next thing, he would be here. He would, he would need to do it, right? And he would stop and he would be sweating. He'd go outside, he'd come back in and you'd sit there for like four or five hours, eh? Because that's probably the stuff that there's nothing else to do in when you're a football player when you finish at like one, two o'clock. So you just go and try and get the meat sweats. And <laughs> yeah, you just get, you would just get Slaney to do anything. <laughs> just try and get him to do anything. And he would do it. Honestly, what a, what a man. What a guy. I laughed at him this week. I don't know if you've seen it where him and Derek Ferguson were going at each other. I thought that oh, was a... No, nah, here, somebody actually, one of my friends um, texts us and says, here, is he serious there? And Slaney, I can assure you, he was serious, was he? He was really, yeah. he was really angry. He got riled up from it. He's seen his eyeballs, those dilate, those open up wide. But <laughs> see and train as well, before obviously we move on to like in, in the actual dressing room environment and people in there, 
the likes of the, the, the Jokers and stuff, you mentioned Slaney, but in, in the round of first team, who were the Jokers? Who were the ones putting the pranks? I remember when I was in the round local football and stuff, people used to put like deep heat down people's boxers and yeah. mocking yeah, people's that, shoes. That happened. Yeah, that happened oh, all the time. It was people's clothes were, would be hung up and you would, James Keaton was, he was probably the worst for it. He was he was constant. He would they'd be lying on a physio bed. Shock! I was on a physio bed anyway. But Keith David come in and he would rip, rip the hairs right out your leg and just constantly nipping you and just a typical little bugger kind of thing. Eh? Yeah. Um, but I always read that this uh, this story. Honestly, Charlie Mulgrew, right? So I never got the credit, and it was probably my idea, right? So we we're driving in at Lennox Town, and the gates were shut. And I, th- I think this was total and open goal as well. So the gates were shut at, at the Lennox Town, right? And, and I remember driving up and thinking, why why are the gates shut? Because uh, they were always open, always open to the players. You were just able to drive in, right? So you've had to press yeah. in and come, hey, yeah, yeah, Lewis Torsten, yeah, and you come back. So you come in. The guy, what was it? It was a new security man on the door. So he was standing at the door, like looking at the car, like looking at you. That was it. Kind of, he was in. I was thinking, this guy for real, this must be a new security guy. So next thing, I'm just cycling away on the bike, right? Cycling away, cycling away. And then Charlie comes in, uh, sits beside us. We're just chatting away. And I say to him, Charlie, what about the, the new guy on the, the door? Had the gate shut. He was, Charlie was like, is that a new guy? I thought that. He says, I thought the, the gate, well, I couldn't understand how that, um, that gate was shut. So Charlie was like, right, listen, I'll go and put a balaclava on, right? And I'll run about the back. And what today I was going to tell him that somebody's in about the cars, right? So I was like, right, okay, perfect. So anyway, Joe Ledley and that have got their, they've got their phones and Adam Matthews and that. Well, we're all in on it, right? So I went down to the, the guy and says, yeah, mate, there's a guy running about the, the cars outside. You're going to need to go and get him. So next thing here, he jumps up. Eh? I can't remember the security guy's name. Uh, so he's, he's jumped up. So he's right out and he's got his walkie-talkie and that and he's chasing. So he sees Charlie eh? But Charlie's got the balaclava on and he's ducking and he's <laughs> the security guy's chasing him about the cars, saying, you're going to need to get out of here. You're, you're not going to come here and all this nonsense. Eh? So, honestly, see, when he, he nearly caught him. Eh? And it, it seems like if Charlie kept that balaclava on, I honestly don't know what happened if they would have been rolling about or something. But he took the balaclava on. It was absolutely hilarious. The guy was absolutely done. Oh, he was mortified. Eh? He was like, good one, Charlie. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Oh, one of the ones I love, I love hearing as well, uh, the set up and go down. When they threw the, the salami or something, hit the neck sponsor right in the face. Oh, that made me buckle too. Like, what was that one? The, the, I think they were over in America for a pre-season tour or something. And someone right. said about hitting the neck sponsor or something anyway. And someone got food and they hit him right in the side of the bake. I think it was pizza and it just slid down oh. the side of his face. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> but see, see, as, see as well, moving on to a, a wee bit more serious side of things. So... Yeah. Being involved in like match day squads and being around the first team, and when you're getting into the game scenarios and you're involved in the squad, what was like the build up from like you wake up in the morning to the game day, like the actual game itself? Is it like you're all together and it's proper serious from the get go when you wake up that morning? Yeah, so you you would finish, you would go to training. Um, so say it was a Saturday game, three o'clock, you would go training on the on the Friday. It would probably be at Celtic Park, or you would train at Barfield, um, but you would always report to Parkhead. Um, so you would train as normal, just a normal session, nice and easy, just relax. But again, 
like obviously the serious things like the serious things like shape and and set pieces and stuff but when you came back you would go you would get your lunch and stuff like that and then you would just get the bus and you would go to the hotel um but it was nice and relaxed in that you were with the boys you would you would go to your room sometimes um you were kind of always yourself though like i never i never ever got to share with anybody when i was away um with the first team i was always by myself but most of the first team players would be with somebody or if they wanted to be their cell, they would be their cell, do you know what I mean? It would just depend. Um, but yeah, it was nice and relaxed. Just You would wake up in the morning, you would go for your breakfast with the first team, everybody would sit together, and again, it would just be nice and relaxed, um, leading up to the game, and then that would be that would be it. You would go for a pre-match meal, maybe about 11 o'clock, and then the bus would depart at like half 12, um, but to Parkhead, or if it was an away game, to an away game, and... Then the manager, that was Neil Lennon, when I was there, he would just name the team and then that would be, you were either in the squad, you were on the bench or you were in the stands, which was most, like my my case, I was in the stands a lot. So, What was Neil Lennon like? And Obviously this season, he's come in for a lot of criticism and the way things have gone. The, the, as you said, there were, we were lacking width of missing James Forrest. We could all see that lately. Yeah. But when you, when you were with him and your experiences with him, what was he like on the training ground? Was he a proper old-style manager? Like, so yeah. obviously, you, you mentioned before, like Joe Ledley, Scott Brown, Chris yeah. Commons. They're the type of players, in my opinion, would react to that type of management. And you, yeah. you already alluded to the modern-name player might not like a manager shouting at them. What was your opinion of Neil Lennon and like Alan Thompson on the training ground? Yeah, I think personally, I think as a young boy that I was coming through and a lot of the young boys like Tony Watt and there was Andre Blackman and that, I think he was hard. He was really, really hard on the young boys. Um, Uh He never, I very rarely remember him shouting, like having a go at like the likes of Gary Hooper or a Wanyama or guys like that, like a Joe Ledley or a Brown. It was always the young boys that kind of got it. Now, that's probably made me so much stronger now than, than what I was at. At 18 and 19 and that is that's that is it in a nutshell um but i do think that he was hard on us like i remember being away we went on a, a pre-season trip and we got sent home after a week because there was international players coming over as well which i thought yeah. was harsh i thought we had a chance that we went there for the week we were meant to be there two weeks but again the young boys just got sent home and you were thinking to yourself come on can we get a chance here kind of thing do you know what i mean but that yeah. was just the way he worked. He was he had his team. He had a squad of probably you would say maybe 20, 21 first team players, which obviously the young boys weren't really a part of that. A part of that team, we were trained with them and that when needed. But when we weren't, we kind of just got put to the side. Which which I did not that I agreed with, but yeah, I think he was pretty hard. But he made me probably so much stronger than what, what like who I am today. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think I see being from Ireland myself. We're all quite fiery characters, and you you can see that from many. I just think this season he just seemed to be a bit lost in the sidelines. And you you were describe you were describing there up the match day and stuff. So seeing match day and like tactic talks, was he big in that before a game, or was he just like the type of managers you said, name the team, let the players be left their own defenses, and then get on with it that way? He would do no. He would do, listen. He would do shape on a Friday, and I mm. think that's key. Just now, like especially. And in this day and age, I think shape's massive. Um, but yeah, he, he's, he never really done a lot a lot of work on the training ground. It was just like games and stuff like that, um, which I don't know. But obviously, I, I've not been, I've not managed him for, he's not been managing me for what, eight years, nine years. So I don't know whether he's changed his methods and that coach has changed uh, the way to manage and the style of the play and stuff like that. Um, yeah. 
But yeah, no, he never really done much. He, he would do shape now and again, but but no much, no much. And you say there as well, obviously, like you made your debut and stuff. Was it that disappointing from your point of view not to get more chances within the team? Did you feel like, looking from a personal point of view, you as you said, the, the young players go over with the team for a trip, they're sent back after a week. You're, you're yeah. automatically thinking at the start of that, maybe we can get a chance to impress here. Is yeah. that hard to take as a youngster coming through? Because I kind of put, put it to this season, the likes of, you see Dembele, Armstrong, yeah. Oakleflex, Cameron Harper, well, he left, but it's just yeah. examples of young players who aren't getting the chances. Is it hard to take? Yeah, yeah, 100%. I, I, got that, I got that 12 minutes and then I was in training with them and stuff for, I'd say, about three, four months after, after my debut. And I wasn't in another squad. And I was thinking, like, surely I got a taste there. Like, just give us another taste and stuff like that. But I, I never, ever did. But then um, that was when I asked to go out on loan. Um, always remember it. I, I don't know. This is, exa- this is exactly what happened. My agent, I was so nervous about asking uh, the gaffer, Lennon, I think, to go out on loan and, and just get it. Because I got a taste of it. I was 18 year old and... My agent and my dad were like, like, listen, just go and talk to him. Just go and speak to him and, and see if he, he would let you go out on loan and get the experience because it's massive for you. There's no point in you getting a wee taste there and then now you're going to be playing by 19s um, for another season. He says you've got... It was, for, it was in January. So it was from then, January to the end of the season. So again, I went and I remember I was going over it in my head and my head because, listen, Lennon was my hero as well. He was a Celtic mm-hmm. player. I was obviously a Celtic manager and I'm a Celtic player, and they knew that as well. They knew that I was the fan. So I was going over in my head and going on it. And I remember the words to say to him, I just says, Gaffer, can I get a word? He says, yeah, what is it? And he's, I just says to him, Gaffer, do you think it would be beneficial if I went out on loan? And his words, he just went, no, and walked away. And I was just like, like 18-year-old, I was thinking to myself, oh, no. Like, how do I go about this? And then I remember going back to my dad. and But that was just the way he was. Like, and then I think it was maybe four days later, he would have went and, like, tried to sort that out. Do you know what I mean? He he just said yeah. it and then went away. But he went and he, he listened to us. He went and sorted it out. And he came back to us. He says, listen, Tosh, Kilmarnock uh, have been on the phone. What do you think about Kilmarnock? And I was like, yeah, perfect. SPL team, um, good side. I was like, yeah, that would be brilliant. So went to Kilmarnock and played six months there. And and honestly, it was the best move I've ever done because I got my experience of playing first-team football um, week in, week out. And obviously, they went on to beat Celtic in the Cup, which was an absolute surreal time for me because <laughs> obviously I couldn't play for Kilmarnock because it was against my parent club in the final. Yeah. And obviously, they went on to win it and then they're celebrating like we played on a Saturday. I played in the game um, and they're celebrating beating my parent club, my team, Celtic, do you know what I mean? And the, and it was just a weird, weird, weird thing. But again, I wouldn't have changed it for the world. It was a great time for me going to Kilmarnock and playing. How, like, how was it? <clears throat> the thing I, <clears throat> I try and understand. So when you ask for a little move and it gets completed, you're moving to Kilmarnock. And yeah. I, when you go to a different dressing room, as a young boy, still 18, 19, and mm-hmm. you're sitting with all these seasoned professionals, how do you go from the mindset at Celtic where you have to win every game to kind of Kilmarnock where it's not acceptable, but picking up yeah. a loss here and there, is it really something that to be worried about or be fussed about? Is that like a, a transitional change for yourself? Yeah, I was. It was it was hard again. But again, you're going in with with guys that have maybe been at that at that level as well. Like I played uh that team was a very, very, very good team, a very good commanding team. We just missed out on the top six. Um but again, they went on to win the League Cup that year, beating Celtic in the final. A good, good Celtic team. 
Um, but the guys like there was Michael Nelson was there, an experienced player, played with Norwich and stuff. Um, you had Gary Harkins, Paul Heffernan, Dean Shields, uh, Liam Kelly that went on to play in England. Um, trying to think, Rory McEwen was there. There was like we had a very, very good team. James Dayton, Ben Gordon was at Chelsea on loan. He was on loan at Kilmarnock. Like, yeah, that, yeah. yeah, that that team was a t- like a top team. Um, and I went in and played right back and played every game and done really, really well. And that was when, like, that com- that gave me the confidence to to be like, like, listen, if I'm playing here in the SPL, I wouldn't say strolling it, but, like, comfortable. Like, really, really comfortable. So getting assists um, and really, like, loving my football. And that was when I felt confident. I was flying and I was injury-free at that time. And it was just, yeah, I, I loved my time at Kilmarnock. Honestly, I kind of speak highly of the club. And, and Kenny Shields was a manager. And honestly, like, he would he would play a 13-year-old if he could. He just yeah. loved the you know what I mean? He just, if you were good enough, you were playing. It was as simple as that. It didn't matter who you were or what age you were. And I I take that now into my team and, and my management. And that's what I'm kind of saying to the guys at the downfield. I'm saying to them, like, listen, if you're, like, I've got 16-year-olds coming in. I went and watched them. Saying, listen, if you're good enough, you'll play 100. Yeah. Um, percent I think as well, the, the likes of Kenny Shields, he's he's an underrated manager. He's doing well at the moment with Northern Ireland ladies. He's got them into the their first uh, European competition, which is fantastic yeah. for the kind of women's game over here, anyway. But yeah. you mentioned Dean Shields there. Yeah. Well, I've got down yeah. here that you played Rangers at Ibrox and won one nil. Is that is that correct? Yeah, it's 100 percent correct. Yeah, <laughs> and as a at Celtic diehard in that match, how was that for you? See, that was the that was the game that there was a full house at Ibrox that day. It was the, the game that went into the administration. It got announced. So the game after it that they were put in, there was big huge banners outside. There was a big protest outside and stuff for all the Rangers fans and me got getting off the bus. And I got it absolutely stinking because obviously I was a Celtic player at the time. Um not that they would probably know who I am, kind of thing, but they, they knew I was a Celtic kid. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And uh yeah, that day, like again, my, my granddad and my dad and my best mate and even some Rangers fans that are, I would say, friend of mine, but they're kind of friend of mine. They were, <laughs> they were there. So again, like that day, I remember playing in it and the noise, I was standing in the tunnel and the noise was just unbelievable. It was one of the loudest I've ever, ever heard and they were all jumping about and stuff like that. And and we went in 1-0, one, 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 clean sheet, Kenny uh, Shield, Dean Shield scored the goal. And it was just an ah, unbelievable feeling. Unbelievable. Brilliant. See, see when you're in that type of situation, and not, obviously not to, to dwell on it too much, but for me, it's, it's, it's fascinating. So when you're in a full, that, that kind of cauldron at Ibrox and that news has been announced with the winning the administration, and <laughs> at, at that precise moment in that ground and you're winning 1-0, you'd get away with the victory. Was it like a toxic atmosphere? Was it what Could you feel the tension when you were playing that game? There was, nah, I wouldn't say there were, even still singing it, they were they were very loud. They were still. I wasn't like a couple of years uh, after, like when they were really low and there was wasn't a lot of people. They were still cheering and and obviously singing in that during that. I remember hang. Well, we're hanging on the last ten minutes, um, as you probably you would do. But I can't remember them being like a toxic atmosphere or anything like that. It was it was still loud and still noisy and. And you couldn't hear, you couldn't hear like what you were, what the your teammates were saying to you or anything like that. Do you know what I mean? It was yeah. the atmosphere was electric. Like, and obviously you can you complete the little move with Kilmarnock. 
yeah, relatively successful time as well, winning the cup and stuff. And you go back to Celtic Park. I know you made another no move to, to Dundee. Same yeah. when you go back yeah. in, in that summer. Is yeah. something in your yeah. is something in your head telling you? I know a lot of players come back and they're never really seen again. But are you going back full of confidence that you can get back yeah. into the Celtic team? Yeah, I went back uh, that season and I was flying pre-season. And the guy, again, the gaffer says this was when they took me away. Uh, it was meant to be a two-week trip, but that was when we got sent back after the week. Me, Tony Watt. Uh, Rabui, Ibrahim was there and I think it was Andre Blackman I think it was four of them maybe Cal McGregor as well actually I think maybe five and we got sent back um, after the week of training but again like I went back there full of confidence buzzing got the experience the SBL experience came back and he says listen you've got a chance this this season and I played I think I played one pre-season game when I think it was Austria we were in played one pre-season game he brought us off after 45 minutes and that was it that was you. That was again. I was done again. Like I thought to myself, right, what is that then? Forty another forty-five minutes. Like after, and again, it's frustrating because I wanted more of a chance. I felt as if I deserved more of a chance, and it just wasn't to be. And then again, I got a phone call um, saying Dundee. Listen, Dundee have just been promoted because of Rangers getting relegated. They are going down to League Two, and Dundee are the club. I think it was Club Twelve or they were called, and they got promoted to the SPL. It's another chance to play in the SPL. It's my hometown team. And again, it was, I, I basically says, listen, if I'm not going to play at Celtic, then yeah, of course, I'll go out and play on loan again. And that was, yeah. that was the made. But I, I had, only, I had um, on my contract, I had, uh, Celtic had an option of another year. So it was uh-huh. there, it was Len, uh, Neil Lennon's decision whether the, the year triggered after the Dundee loan or that was me finished. So I was playing at, um, I was playing at Dundee the whole season uh, again, we got relegated, and it was it was a tough it was a tough season to be fair. Um, we won the like we got I think a week or two weeks preparation. Um, they were they were built for the championship, and they signed me, and I think Colin Nash was the only two players that came in at Dundee like to try and obviously stay up with like stay up in the in the league with Dundee, and it was yeah it was it, it was a tough season, but again like. I came back, like, I didn't know what was happening in Celtic, whether I was going to be back at Celtic after next season or no. And then I got told, listen, you'll be back. Uh, we want Lennon uh, phoned again and says, you'll be back at us next season. You've got another year here. And again, you'll be looking to, to force your way into the first team. So, mm-hmm. again, I went back that pre-season and that was just the first day of pre-season. I'd done my knee and that was me. I've uh-huh. never been sick again. I say at that moment as well, obviously, you do the, the loan move with Dundee. You get relegated, but most likely, for personal ways, you're happy with performances and stuff. You're going back with that friend's mindset. And a lot of young players seem to go through bad injuries and stuff. So when you get that injury, is the first thing you're thinking, rather than recoveries, the first thing as a Celtic fan, you're going, I'm never playing for this club again. Is that what's going through your mind? Nah, do you know what? Like This is exactly what happened. So when I went back to Celtic, I had the meeting and I was told that you've got another chance of getting into the pre-season trip and going away with the first team. And and what happened was I was doing a jump test, a straightforward jump test, and I landed, and I just felt a little nip on my knee. And that was, it was just like a little nip. And I thought, right, what's that? That's That doesn't feel good. Went for it to jog, like a usual jog. And then what happened was it was just nipping every time. So I went to the physio, and the physio says, listen, we won't get it scanned. We got it scanned, and it was just meant to be a straightforward operation. A little nip on the... On my fat pad, and just below the kneecap, um, was hanging off, and it was just meant to be four, four to six weeks out, and you'll be yeah. back, and 
just after pre-season. That was, that's what was meant to happen. So I had the operation. It was against straightforward. Um, and I always remember being on the bike, cycling away. Um, and then I got off the bike and my knee was just throbbing, throbbing, throbbing. And it just blew up like a balloon. It was just like, an, uh, honestly, like a, you, you, the size of that was crazy. Went to see the physio and says, what is going on here? They were like, don't have a clue. But went back to see the surgeon and stuff like that. And then it's just, honestly, Stephen, from then, it was just absolutely disaster. I just would not go away. And still to this day, this is the reason why I'm in this position now. Why I'm, yeah. I'm retired at 29. Because I still, like even through my career, trying to get rid of this fluid. It's just fluid in the knee. And nobody knows why. I went to see so many different people. I went to see a guy in Edinburgh, a guy in London, uh, a few guys in London, actually. Me and Tim Williamson, the physio. He's still the physio now, it's like first yeah. team. Me and him would go down and just, honestly, we would see so many different people, but nobody knew. Like all the specialists, nobody knew what it was. I had, I've had six operations on my knee now, and we just we still, we still couldn't get to the bottom of it. It's, it's that, that, is that type of situation though something as you said you're in, you're in the position now you're, you're a young manager with downfield yeah. and is that the type of like situation looking back with hindsight where it's kind of your career has been up and down from it released from Celtic yeah. going on to play for various other clubs but yeah. is, is that the type of situation where you can relate to your players that look if this happens there's always a way back and other different avenues within the game and not to say every every injury is like career threatening but from your yeah. mentality side of things as you said Neil Lennon made the strong coming for the youth Tommy Burns installed that mentality in you did that mm. help with the, with the injury in the coming years after yeah. that? Yeah of course like there was, there was don't get us wrong there was dark very dark days we're thinking because not see, see if you do your ACL you do your cruciate you're going to be out for you get told you've got eight to nine months maybe and and that is that's what you've got. And you can get in your head, right? I'm out. I'm out for eight nine months. The thing with my injury was I didn't know when I was going to be back. I and and still it it still happens to this day. Like that's that's what happened. That happened at Dungeon United probably most. Um, I played a season at Dungeon United where I was never injury free. I was playing with a broken tone stuff like that. But the knee was still bothering us, and I couldn't train maybe on a on a Monday or a Tuesday, and I would train maybe Thursday Friday, and I would go and play on a Saturday. But not knowing what the injury was, when I was at Celtic, uh, after that Dundee spell for that season, like I was out for that whole year, seeing all these different guys, but not knowing what the injury was, was the hardest thing that that uh, could be for a footballer. Just not knowing, like you were going on a bike thinking, when am I going to play? Am I going to play again? Am I going to be yeah. able to, to go to another team or stuff like that? Do you know what I mean? So I finished that. It was all together. It was 17 months I was out um, until I played for Ross County again. Um, and I managed to get rid of that just through this. I was on medication that a specialist told us to try, and it did work to a certain degree. But it was really, really serious medication. Well, I probably looking back now, I should never have ever agreed to it and been on. Do you know what I mean? But again, it was just I would do anything to get back playing football and enjoying my football again, and that's that's what I done. Let's see. Come on, like. Obviously, but from a neutral perspective, I don't know what them injuries feel like. And you're on the biggest Celtic, and obviously that that summer after, didn't you? Well, the summer leading up, obviously you did the year. Did you get released at the end of the season? Yeah. Or did you so get that? So I had that year, um, and then Ronnie Delia came in uh, for the next yeah. season. But but Celtic said to his listen because you're, I was still injured at the end of the season. So what happened was Celtic said we'll give you another three month on your contract, 
just to get you back fit, basically, and then we'll get you, we'll get you away. So I knew I was getting released after that year, so that was kind of all gone from then. Lennon obviously left, he moved on, and Ronnie Delia came in, and like I never trained with them or anything like that. It was just a case of getting myself fit, trying to get rid of this knee injury, and and progress my career. And yeah. that was when I managed that in that three month from pre season for the three month I was out. I was still the Celtic uh, paid us up until then. And then that was I went to I went to Hearts on trial, I went to Hibs on trial, um, and I went to Ross County. And Hearts and Hibs both said they wanted to sign us, um, but they never offered the contract in time. And, and Ross County offered had the contract on the table, and I was just wanting to. I was just so eager to get back playing and get in. So I signed. I went off for Ross County for six months. Um, just I was just to prove my fitness because being out for seventeen months, any manager was Jim McIntyre at the time. He just says, "Listen, we can't give you a year, two years, or anything like that, just in case the injury comes back and you're buggered again, kind of thing." So he says, "Give you six months, prove that you're fit, and then we'll we'll progress that." And well, the, that's kind of what happened. Well, the, the the good thing is, though, you did manage to play football again, which is the main thing. Yeah. And I was yeah. obviously. Obviously, it came out recently. That, that's when I seen you as well. That you kind of you've retired from football and your management, yeah. man, your first foray in the management with Downfield Football Club. What, yeah. what, what led? I know you said their injury played a big part, but was it not like gut wrenching? Were you not always? Is it not like a a party of things? What, what if it stayed on? Whatever, there's a cure. What do you know? What I mean? All the kind yeah. of what, what ifs and buts and stuff. Yeah. How did you? Yeah, that? Listen, that's, yeah, hundred percent. It's it's something that. It was. I sat down and I, I was thinking about it all the time. I was at Inverness there and um, my last club, and I sat again for another season, um, injured again. And I'd done it at United for two years. Like I'd done United at my hometown team, and like done United paid for me in that as well. And that, like the fans took it really bad, and they still give me stick to this day about like we spent my money on Lewis Tosney and he, he wasn't able to, like he never played basically, I was out for that season, it was just a total waste of money, which in hindsight I probably was a waste of money, but again, yeah, I couldn't have done nothing, I played, I had I had six in every single game, I, I wouldn't train for the week and I took an injection, like nobody knows this, I take an injection in my toe to totally numb my toe so I can play a game, um, like, and should see these injections, these injections, the players used to be like, I can't believe you're doing this, what are you doing? And I'm just like, listen, get it in, let's play. I couldn't even put my shoe on. I couldn't have put my boot on. But I would take the injections. I'd done six in a row. And then it came to a point where I had to just say, like, that's, I'm not doing it anymore. That's, that's ridiculous now. And I was just taking the injections in my toe just so I could get my boot on and play football. You could play, you're running about with local anaesthetic in your foot. But again, like, the player, like, the fans don't understand that. They don't understand, like, the sort of mentality and the things that I was doing for to play for Dun United and prove myself because yeah. I know I was I wasn't good enough and and that was that was really it. But yeah, um, I can't remember. I went on to Dun United. There, what, what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it was just basically the lead up to your retirement decision. And yeah. obviously, you mentioned, mentioned there you're taking like in Jacksons to see yourself for a game. So was it just a case of you're thinking enough's yeah. enough now? I kind of yeah. look at something different. That was it. I just the two seasons, the two seasons out United, and then another season out at Inverness. I, I just thought, like, listen, I need to, I need to take a step back. I want to be able to, to take my daughter to the parks, and I want to be able to be able to walk when I'm, I'm 32, 33, and and see the way I was going. I was kind of going that way where I could be like I was taking injections and I was getting my knee drained and that just getting the fluid taken out on a Friday 
to play on a Saturday and, and then I would just be the exact same Monday. I wouldn't be able to train and stuff. And it's just, I got to a point where I just had to hold my hands up and say, like, that's enough's enough. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And obviously, you've been attracted to the project at Downfield Football Club. What What's kind of made you go into management instead of other avenues, like a, an agent or a scout? Because a lot of players now go into like the agent types of thing, especially younger players. So what led you into management? What what kind of attracted you to that? Coaching and managing is, is, is something I've always, I've always done. Anybody that knows me knows that I play football manager honestly every single minute of the day i've done it i've done it yeah i've done it since i was 19 i would play online with my cousin mark visit and bobby lynn uh both me us three would go on and would sit for days and days and just play it honestly it's it's crazy and would follow it on it and and just i've always been like i would always wanted to be a manager but going into it like when it was at united um andy goldie gave us the opportunity to go and take the under 17s um at dungeon united and I was coaching with a guy called Lloyd Gaffney. He was the manager, and I just went in and helped. And then just from then, I've just loved it. Um, I worked with guys, the boy, uh, Kerr Smith, that's currently playing at Dungeon United just now. Yeah, uh, yeah. The, the team's looking at him, Man United and Aston Villa, and that looking at him. Um, I coached him when he was 15, 16, and I knew right away that he would be a player, and I worked with him. And he'll probably tell you that I was his, I'm his best manager that he's had so far. But uh, <laughs> nah, I'm <laughs> No, I've worked with a few good players in that there, and I just got the bug. I got the coaching bug, and and I got that. Uh, as I say, my mates took over at, at the, the downfield, and as I say, I say to him, listen, I'm thinking about just chucking the football. I'm, I'm, I'm at this stage now where I think, and he was like, listen, come and be the manager of the downfield. What an experience this will be. Let's see where you can go with them. Do you know what I mean? There's a pyramid scheme. There's, and he mentioned all this, and I, it was a no-brainer. It's just to be like, this is my team now. It's my, I'm the manager. I make the decisions. I've built, I have, again, I've had to build a brand new team. We're still in the process of it. We're still training Mondays and Wednesdays and we're trying to get uh, friendlies and that arranged. But, like, it's just, it's absolutely brilliant just now. It's so exciting. And we've got 16 signed players. I think we're maybe four or five away from, from why, like, I asked them, I had a meeting with them on, uh, on the Sunday. And I gave him all a piece of paper and I says to him, where do you think, realistically, where do you think you'll finish? And they all wrote down on a piece of paper and I've put them in a box and I told them that I wouldn't look at it, but I've already looked and seen it. But I was just to, get, just to find out where they think, that the, where they think they'll finish and stuff like that. I'll no reveal on this, but it was just to get a wee insight. And listen, I just says, listen, believe in yourselves. Why can we not go and win this league? And to like the way I think about it, bringing... If we can get downfield, like just a, a team in curtain to go up and and play in like the Highland League and take loads of big crowds because we will take big crowds there because of the the, the, the whole curtain community and the people that, that know like the guy David Beveridge, Billy Buchanan, Billy McElroy, these guys that know like the whole people in curtain and it's there's a lot of people there and they all travel and they all come and that is this is what it's all about it's building the community again and building with with this and it's just. I'm buzzing for it and I'm buzzing to just see where I could take my team and get the best players possible in the Dundee area um, and I beyond. Can, and, yeah, and why can we not go and get to League 2? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I can, I can hear it in your voice. You're, you're, you, can, you can tell you're buzzing speaking about that. Yeah. I met me myself, yeah. I've recently when the coaching that doing um, kids with ADHD, autism and yeah. stuff. So I'm doing that at the moment. I, can t- I know what you mean by the, the football bug. I don't know if you've ever heard the, the Jason Manford joke about the, the football manager. 
Or he's nah. like, he, he sits, he sits with a suit on though, and he plays it. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, I've done that. I've done that plenty of times. I think I won the league with Dungeon United when I was at Ross County, uh, and Midge and Martin Woods and Paul Quinn were in the house at the time. And honestly, I think I won the league with Dungeon United. And I was running about the street ball at naked. I couldn't believe what I'd done. It was incredible. Absolutely incredible scenes. They couldn't believe they were videoing it on their phones and the iPod. Just that's the sort of guy I am, eh? Just absolutely it's, love it's, winning. And yeah. It's like Jay out of between us when he says the needle in the shop, he's like football manager, completely. But yeah. Lewis, <laughs> that, yeah. that, that brings us on to the, the end of the, the show and yeah. Well, thank you very much for coming on. But just before we finish, I did give you the challenge of giving me your ultimate five aside team of players that you played yeah. played with throughout your career. Have you managed to do it? Yeah, yeah, I have. But do you know what? I've I've no put well, I've had put Celtic players in, but I've played. I've kind of obviously only played twelve minutes. Like I played with some. I've trained with some unbelievable players at Celtic and stuff. So I went. For, <laughs> nah, nah, I was listen. I would do the training, but I've I've went with just players um, that have okay. played more than probably more than five games. Do you know what I mean? So I went with Sean Rooney, one of my best mates. Uh, he was, I played with him at Inverness, um, an absolute monster. He scored in the cup final there. And yeah, so he's going, he, he'll go into better things, obviously. St. Johnston, a great club, and they're absolutely flying just now. But I'm sure he'll make the progression on. He is an absolute machine. Um, so I would say him, I'd say we, Carl McGregor, coming through the youths with Carl, um, always knew he was going to be a top, top player. He had that attitude and hunger about him as well. So I'll put wee Cal in there. Um, Stuart Armstrong, played with him with the Scotland 21s and stuff. Um, played with him for quite a lot of games, actually. And Stu was, again, the energy and the just getting about the pitch was just incredible. And even like the technique and stuff of the guys. And they, again, he's ripping up in the Premier League. Yeah, uh, 100%. So, yeah, brilliant, Stu. I've put in Gary Harkins. Now, we got asked that before, um, and I put in basically all Celtic players and Gary Harkins, and the guys were thinking, why have you got Gary Harkins in with Van Dyke and Brown and Hooper and stuff like that? But I'm telling you, see Gary Harkins and his, his ability is an absolute, incredible ability. Like, you just couldn't get the ball off him, eh? And his feet, and he just, the only thing uh, Jeeves he lacked was just probably the lack of pace. Um, yeah, he's, that, he's like a Tom Rosick style, isn't he? He's yeah. the way he yeah, throws like, the ball. Yeah. He's a built and just the, the Cruyff and stuff like that. Just brilliant. Um, and then I put in my wee mate, James Keatons, as well. I think Keats, uh, again, he's kind of the same as me. We Keats has had some horrendous injuries um, with his hips and stuff like that. But I came through the youths. I played with James since I was 11 year old. And I went, uh, I've played with him numerous times with that. I've played with him at Dungeon United. I've played with him at uh, Inverness. And now he's going to wait, uh, obviously at Celtic right through. And now he's going to wait to Rafe Rovers, one of my other ex-teams. So I'd put wee James in there as a five-a-side, my wee striker. Um, that's a, I think that's a brilliant five-a-side team. Sean Rooney, uh, Cal McGregor, Stuart Armstrong, Gary Harkins and James Keatons. Yeah, that's what I've went for, yeah. Are you the manager? I'm the manager. I have retired. I kind of run a bit. <laughs> well, look, Lewis, we at Endless Souths appreciate you coming on. Have you enjoyed your time on the show? Brilliant. Loved it. Loved it. Yeah. Brilliant. Thanks very much. And appreciate we that. always appreciate it. Appreciate it. No worries at all. No worries. Thanks for coming on. And we all wish you the best of luck with Downfield Football Club. And we'll be watching with keen interest their journey for the football leagues. And hopefully, he's making the league too, as you said, within the yeah. two year plan. So that'll yeah. be. That will be fantastic. And everyone who's listening, I hope you've enjoyed the show. Until we speak again, stay well and keep safe. Hail, hail.